welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today we're going to talk about senior tennis. Um, we know that a lot of our listeners are over 40 and are engaged in senior tennis activities. And I don't know about you, Josh, but sometimes it feels like we're often talking either about juniors or pros. And, you know, uh, there are a whole lot of other people out there that play tennis. And, um, you know, I, I would obviously have to put myself into the, the senior category. You are not there yet and probably happy not to be there yet. Um, but you have stuff to look forward to. And I think that that's uh, maybe one of the one of the themes of today's today's episode. Um, you know, when I think of senior tennis and, and, and um, you know, continuing to play this sport, which we do call a sport for a lifetime for a reason, um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, well, why? Why do people continue to play? And I wonder if, you know, from your your background, Josh, and reading, you know, why, why do you think senior athletes or senior tennis players continue to play this game? Yeah, well, tennis definitely has been called a lifetime sport. I mean, I, I think um, to where I'm, I'm currently coaching and to um, past clubs, and it's it's not uncommon to see players in their 80s even even in their 90s, um, who, who are still playing, still really enjoying the sport, still getting a lot of fulfillment out of it. Um, and I think uh, a, a good way to start breaking down um, why people play is, uh, is through, you know, through thinking about motivation, thinking about self-determination theory. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about these three core facets of self-determination theory, which I think we've touched on a little bit um, in, in previous episodes, but... Um, Thinking about autonomy, thinking about relatedness, or being able to um, form some sort of community, some sort of interaction with other players, and then mastery. So breaking it down into th- these three facets, I think, is is definitely a good place to start in terms of why um, people continue to play um, at, at later ages and uh, how they can continue to draw fulfillment from the sport. Yeah, no, I think that is a good good framework and. Really, as we've said in the past, you can apply this to any facet of your life. And um, uh, I think autonomy is a good place to start because we all feel like we want to be in control. And um, at, you know, if you're 35 or 40 or over, um, you're obviously not playing to make a college team. You're not playing to get on the pro tour. There may be a couple of exceptions out there. It's not like. No one's ever tried that. Um, uh, but in general, um, you're doing it because you want to. And you're, you're making the choice. And um, you know, I found uh, something interesting about passion. You know, We often think that one has to have passion for what we do. And certainly those of us who are playing senior tennis um, have passion for what we're doing. Um, but this article had talked about breaking passion into two different flavors, which I thought was interesting. One was obsessive passion, which is where an athlete feels like you know their sport is such a part of who they are, they just have to do it. Um, they almost have no choice, and, and, that, and that is why they do it. And I, I'm sure that there are some people listening who feel that way about tennis, that, that it is just a part of who they are, and that it is – their lifestyle, and they just simply must do it. It is an obsession. Um, but more often, we find um, a different kind of passion, which is called harmonious passion, meaning that your passion, something like tennis, it just fits into your life harmoniously. 
it is something that you want to do, choose to do. Um, if you couldn't do it, you'd probably be okay with it to a certain extent. You'd miss it. Um, but it really is something that's kind of in tune with just who you are as a person, not your identity per se, but it's something that you, you certainly identify with. And I think that goes along with autonomy, the autonomy aspect of self-determination, um, where we feel in control, like we're the ones who want to, to do this. Um, so I thought it was a really a kind of cool way of breaking passion down into uh, two different concepts. Well, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, from my experiences, I've seen, uh, I've seen both examples. I've seen the players who continue to play, um, you know, year after year, and it just seems to be part of their way of life and whether or not they really are enjoying it or fulfilling or fulfilled by it. That's just, that's just what they continue to do. And it's almost so, so a core part of their identity that they're not willing to, you know, ever stray from it or take a break just because that is, you know, who they are. Um, where I also see these examples of players who really seem to continue to, um, to enjoy the sport year after year, who maybe have set, you know, new goals for themselves and are, you know, continuing, tink continuing to tinker with their game and uh, trying to, you know, trying to, to take things to the next level, whatever that may be. That, that may mean continuing to play in tournaments. That may mean... Um, just, you know, trying out new things at the club, new clinics, um, playing with different players. Um, so I, I definitely have seen that in my own um, experiences, the, the difference between both sorts of players. But I, I would say that as, um, you know, more with senior uh, level players, um, you, you do more see that harmonious um, passion, really, because um, nobody, is, nobody is telling them that they have to keep playing. It's all coming from them where sometimes you see with other sorts of players, maybe it's a junior player or a professional player where they're playing it because their parents want them to play. And maybe they're not as actually motivated by the sport or maybe a professional player who is playing it because they have put all this time in and now, you know, now they're working towards a paycheck or a professional ranking and they, they don't see it as really them having a, choice at that point to, to stop. Um, where a senior level player, they more often than not, I would say, are playing for the, for quote unquote, the right reasons, playing for, um, for themselves, playing for um, their own passion and their own goals. And so, you know, as you're getting older, Josh, and, and I think like in college, we probably feel sort of this obligatory thing, like we've got to train, we've got to practice, right? Because we're part of the team. Um, so there's a little bit of a more controlled aspect to that motivation. It's not 100% necessarily from you. You have a coach and, and whatever. And I feel like a lot of players, once they finish with college, they may stop for a little while or they may not. You know, So um, where, how do you kind of see your own transition there from like college where you had to be playing, part of what you did, and now you've gotten into teaching tennis, so maybe a different path than some of your fellow teammates. How many of your teammates still play? Um, there, there are definitely some. There's, I would say it, it's sort of split. There's, there's some that um, continue to play, also some that coach, um, and, and others that you know, either have stopped playing or, or don't play as regularly. 
Um, I would say from my own personal experience, um, I, I needed a couple years um, actually during my master's program where I um, stopped competing, you know, wasn't playing as, as regularly. Um, and then, you know, after that started really getting, um, getting into after, after the master's program started coaching full time and started to play more, still haven't competed as much as, you know, certainly as much as I did during college or during um, my juniors, but starting to, I'd say it's been it's been just over five years now, about five and a half years, and starting to really get that you know that that itch to to get out there and compete, and uh, you know to and, and there have been um, select tournaments in the past couple of years, but um, you know I think you get to a certain point where you start to miss it and start to you know want to be out there competing, putting putting it out on the line. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you know as. You know, the good news is there are a lot of opportunities as you do get older for competing and, and, and staying in the game, and uh, which is great. Um, so I think the next aspect of self-determination theory that we can talk about is the idea of mastery or competence. And um, I know from my own perspective, you know, this was a shift that I definitely made um, of focusing less on results, not that they weren't important, or rankings, but really understanding more process stuff, a lot of the stuff we talked about with Jeff Greenwald, and then making improvements in those little areas and focusing on those and just trusting that they would they would build up. And so I felt like that was part of the reason I feel like I got better actually after 35 was a was a shift in perspective from not so much about winning, but really more process orientation toward improving and becoming, you know, the best player that I could become. You know, and I think at 35 and, and players like Nadal and Federer and Djokovic are showing this, you can still get better. You can still physically be exceptional, you know, between 35 and, and maybe even 50. I, I know some of the events I've played that I'm often amazed at how strong, fast, and athletic some of these guys are that play national events. I see, you know, I don't see as I'm sure the same is true on the women's side, but typically in the senior level events, you don't have as many mixed events, so we don't often see the women. There are a few events who. Um, Category two events, well, you'll you'll have that, but the category one events, which are sort of the top tier, right? So uh, clay courts, hard courts, grass courts, and an indoor. Usually, those are single sex, and often at the younger levels, even single age group. Um, but I'm I'm always amazed at at the the level of athleticism that I have seen from the 35s into the 50s. Like some of these some of these players are just absolutely amazing. Um, so. Uh, but for me personally, it was that shift of process orientation versus result orientation that that helped make me a better player. And I and I think that that's you know I wasn't necessarily doing that because of self determination theory. I just sort of kind of got into it that way. Yeah, yeah, that, that that definitely makes sense. I mean, I would I would even say from my own experiences, and again, it's a smaller sample size of just a few tournaments after college, but, um, you know, not getting as caught up on the results or on any one particular match, because 
I think as, as you get older, you start to your perspective that, Hey, this, this one match or this one tournament doesn't define me. You know, I think, I think for younger players, juniors, college players, whatever it may be, a lot of people can fall into this trap of thinking that any, you know, any one event or any one match is, is really, you know, what, what defines them, how they, they identify with their most recent result. And uh, I think as players mature and, and get older, they, their perspective changes that, you know, this, this one match will happen. You know, I've, I've won plenty of matches. I've lost plenty of matches. This doesn't change, you know, who I am, my, you know, my, my core beliefs of, of who I am as a person, as a tennis player. Um, but it's, I think it's easier to have that long-term perspective that if I want to continue to reach my goals, if I wanted to continue to improve, that I need to focus on this process. I need to be, you know, I need each of my strokes to be um, at the highest level they can be. I need to be as mentally tough and as to be able to control my emotions. And, um, you know, we can talk about the physical piece of recovering and rest, but I need to be doing all of these things part of the that are a part of the process in order for me to perform my best rather than saying I need to win this tournament this weekend. So I, that that's, um, you know, from, from my perspective and, and some of the players that I've worked in worked with, as well as some of my own experiences that shift um, with senior level players compared to um, some younger players. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think your, your perspective improves. You kind of realize, you know, Hey, we're not going to be, pros we're not going to Wimbledon um so this is more of a personal journey and then it becomes easier to detach from the sense of having to win um that doesn't mean that we don't want to win doesn't mean we don't want to have good rankings etc but I think it's that that perspective um that that comes into play um yeah so I think that that's that's definitely beneficial um for players to focus more on on improvement, little aspects of their performance. And a lot of the research shows that focusing more on the perceptual skills and mental toughness skills and decision-making skills can be more beneficial than, say, just focusing on technique and playing. And which I think is, is interesting in... You know, as I work with some senior players, um, there are going to be some drop-offs physically as we get older, whether that be speed or power. But that doesn't mean your game has to, the level has to go down, especially if you are improving your perceptual skills. And what I mean by that is more anticipation. So being under, being able to read the game a little bit better, maybe moving to a spot a little bit sooner, just because if you know you've worked on that aspect of things, your decision making, you know where you hit shots, um, and from what parts of the court, and and maybe even strategies. I think you can become more tactically aware. And then there's a lot of stuff on the mental toughness piece. You know, process orientation being one of them, but focusing more on having you know good routines on the court, etc. Um, and I feel again, like not mm, overtly or yeah, overtly conscious of this kind of did that on my own with, especially the mental toughness piece. 
And that was really the key for me, um, you know, post 35, helping me improve. And I would say the biggest thing for me was actually the in-between point routine and being able to reset myself from point to point. Um, that was, had always been a struggle for me would been temper and, um, and sort of letting my thoughts be a little bit too much in the past, getting a little too upset. But that in-between point routine and resetting really almost changed everything. Um, and so, you know, I think you, you probably see this with a lot of senior players that you work with. You know, working on that mental aspect can really make a huge difference. No, I, I think you, you bring up a, a great point that um, by by training the mental game, by training, um, you know, whether it be that the decision making or that ability to be able to reset and move on from that previous point that we can, um, that, that, you know, there, there's no reason why that performance level has to, has to drop. Um, and in fact, it can increase. I mean, you, you hear um, plenty of examples, whether it's your own Brian or, um, you know, in our most recent episode with, with Jeff Greenwald, how in, um, you know, after your 20s and 30s, you can continue to um, to play at, a, at actually a higher level. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned that he feels like he's playing as well now at 54, I think he said, than he's played. You know, like when he was in college, he, he, he'd probably beat his college self. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and you're going to be smarter as well. Exactly. And, and these experiences that you have through, you know, through your career, um, you, you can draw on them as you're playing. So you, if you, you win the first set, you play great, and then you, and then somebody wins that second set, and you know, it, many players would get down and lose that that third set at, automatically or um, in a very lopsided way. But if you have the experience and the composure to be able to look back and draw from past matches where that that same situation has happened before then you can say, okay, you know, I've been through this before. I have the tools to pull myself out of this. I know, I remember what happened uh, two years ago in a, in a similar match where I was frustrated. I was down in the third set and I was able to compose myself and come up with a strategy and came back and win that match. Yeah. So being able to, to draw on those experiences um, through playing more and more is, is also uh, an advantage. I would say. Yeah. And one intervention that we can share that can help players do this more um, comes from uh, Anders Ericsson, uh, deliberate practice. Yep. And the idea of journaling about what you do. And this is a specific type of journaling process or the deliberate practice process. And it's about every practice or match that you have setting some goals for what you want to focus on or achieve what you want to get out of that experience, um, and then really paying attention to those focal points. So whether it's mental or not, you could be saying something, well, maybe I want to work on um, more depth with you know my backhand. So that's what I'm going to focus on. It's going to be one of, say, three focus goals that I have for my, my training. And then when the training is over, I come back and I rate how I think I did with that, you know, um, there's some probably, you know, blur between deliberate and purposeful practice. I think both are helpful here. Um, 
And then if you can be rating those things and then afterwards reflect on, okay, what went well today? What could have been better? What did I learn? Um, if it's a match, what would I do differently next time? And this type of uh, reflection and journaling and just attitude toward practice can really help senior tennis players make some of those improvements. Um, you're just being so much more purposeful and reflective of what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like that that approach. Um, I think it, I think it helps players have have a clear intention um, because you think back to you know your, your most recent practice or your your last week and you know, what's been going well, what you want to continue working on, um, and so it's you, you'll you're more likely to have a clear intention going into each practice. And as you said, you can reflect and you can learn from these experiences and then change things or tinker if need be. Um, and, and to me, I would also sort of tie this to um, a concept we've talked in the past about confidence journal. Yeah. Um, Mention some things that uh, went well on any particular day. Um, and, you know, you, you can look back at those experiences maybe the night before a tournament or, uh, you know, in the days leading up to a tournament, if you're feeling nervous or anxious about that experience. Um, and again, draw from those, draw from, um, from looking back at, at that confidence journal and, and draw from those, those positive. Yeah. And I think reflecting even on your matches is really important. Um, especially the, the really, Maybe the ones that you're disappointed with. I remember a match from, I want to say, maybe 2013, 2014. Um, it was a national clay court. And it was a match I wasn't very happy with. I ended up playing very passively. It was a very winnable match. He was a good player. Um, but like I said, it was a winnable match, but it sort of let him win. And I was really disappointed. And I remember coming off the court and I had a guy I'd played against in the past he's uh, that I'm friendly with. And he's like, yeah, that's not really, I mean, I, I kind of said that oh, that's not really a good loss. He's like, yeah, you, you really should have won that match. And so I was really kind of upset about it. And so I went through the journaling process, figured out what went wrong. Um, it kind of came out of that process saying, all right, I am never going to let that happen again. Right. Um, but without having gone through that process, I, I wouldn't have come to that conclusion. And then after that, Josh, I want to say a month later, I had two huge wins and then I had a great summer. And so I look back now at that loss with gratitude. If it hadn't been for that loss, I might have continued a pattern of more passive play rather than really realizing something needed to change. But I also think it's the reflection process that helped me figure it out. Yeah, and, and often it takes a match like that that you know is, is very tough in the moment yeah. uh, to 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 learn something about yourself or to have a realization that hey, I I never want to play in that way again. And maybe you wouldn't have come to that had had you not actually had that experience. Um, and I think the the journaling process is a big is a big part of sort of flushing that out and. Um, coming to that conclusion, um, one of uh, I, I will say that and this ties in. Um, you know, whatever age, whatever level that you're at, you should be um, trying to trying to uh, analyze and learn from your matches. 
as a coach, one of the, the worst thing, one of the things I, I like to hear least, if, if somebody lost a match or maybe they didn't play great, you know, you ask them about it and they don't even want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to even think about it. They just out of sight, out of mind. And that approach, though I, I get it, you know, it's maybe unpleasant or painful to think back to that, um, to that moment. However, the only way that you can learn and grow from that moment and you know, hopefully have it never happen again is really to think, hey, what, what went wrong here? Let's, let's really think back. Let's, let's analyze this. And it sounds like from your experience, Brian, you, you did that. You were able to you know, be honest with yourself and say, hey, I could have done something differently here that, that could have led to a different result. And because of that realization, you were able to make that change that led to, to greater results. Yeah. And I think you're, you're, maybe the perspective that needs to change is, is not looking at competition as like the end-all be-all, but rather looking at competition as simply a part of your journey. Yep. And um, I think Jorge Capistani even said, you know, they're almost like little quizzes along the way. And they help you learn and learn and learn. And yeah, you're, you're basically missing the opportunity to improve your game um, when we when we look at it that way. We also don't want to blow off the wins either. Um, like just to say, oh, I won. I played fine. Yeah, there are always opportunities to look at that because there might be something that, hey, maybe you found a formula for playing great. We don't want to ignore that. Um, maybe there's some things about this performance we need to be replicating more often. You know, so there's still a lot to find in, in, in the wins as well. But you're right. Anybody, any age should be going through a, a reflective process for their, for their tennis. And I, th- I think you bring up a, a good point there that, um, you know, I, and I, I, as a coach, and I, I'm sure you can, you can relate that, I, I, I hear it all the time or I see it all the time. How was your match? Oh, I won 6-2, 6-3. Okay, great, but but how how was your match? Yeah. And especially especially if you won, okay. So what did you do well? What what can we um, make as a uh, as as a recipe of your success, right? As part of that that recipe that you've talked about in the past, Brian. Um, you know, if you won today, what did did you serve well? Did you use a certain pattern? Um, did did you have a certain mindset mentality that helped you that helped you win today? What did you do well that you want to continue to replicate and continue to do every single time you're out on court? Yeah, I think that's really important because ultimately that's what we're trying to find is that recipe for a great performance. It's So I think it's not um, a complete story if we're just you know, paying more attention to the losses. I think there's a lot to glean out of the good, the good matches. All right, so the, the last part of uh, self-determination theory has to do with relatedness. And it's more the social aspects of of, of sport and, and tennis. And I, I think that this is actually a really um, interesting aspect of senior tennis. I remember before I was in the 35s, I used to see some of the guys from the 35s there. Um, and it was like a really good group of guys that were competing against each other. And I was like actually wanting to be older. So I could be a part, a part of that. And, you know, then when I became 35, um, it was as good as I thought it was going to be, you know, and 
not only just sort of the camaraderie of the tournaments, which was different, say, than maybe the Opens. Although I would say when I was playing Opens in the 90s, there was a good camaraderie of the players, which was pretty cool. And even when some of the kids would play, um, there was a lot of good synergy with the junior players who would, who would play up and play men's Opens. It didn't, that doesn't really happen anymore, but um, it did back then. Um, but there was really a good camaraderie there. And then getting introduced to all of the the team potential events. And, you know, of course we have, you know, like we've talked about before, league tennis, which allows people to play. Um, and now there's even more opportunities for that in the senior groups, right? So um, now there's 40 plus leagues. And then I think that there's 55 and over. I, I'm, I'm less uh, uh, fluent on the USTA league opportunities, uh, sort of post uh, 55. Um, but there may be even more 65. Um, but then there are just a whole bunch of age group events um, that players can participate in from a team perspective. So here, you know, we, we live in New England. Um, you know, one of my favorite events is this Friendship Cup that we have, uh, which is a competition between New England and Quebec. And it's for players 45 and over. And every five years, there's a team. And I know we've had years where we've had players in the 80s playing, um, which is pretty cool. So it's a lot of matches. You know, there's like 32 or 36 guys on each of the teams. And we spend uh, one day playing singles, one day playing doubles. And it often comes down to the last few matches. And it's just a great, great environment. Um, And then there are other, other team events. So... I think that that was one thing that was really kind of fun to look forward to. You know, getting into the older events is getting the the you know the the possibility of playing in these team events along with the tournaments. Yeah, yeah, you've uh, you've told me about um, these experiences at uh, off air before, um, but yeah, they, they they definitely sound sound awesome and like a great great camaraderie. Um, between the members of the team. And I've seen it um, at, at different places where I've worked in the past through, um, you know, various USTA leagues, men and women um, of, of different age groups. And what really what stands out to me is, um, yes, there is drama at times. And that's, you know, so cer- certainly part of, uh, can be part of the USTA league experience. Um, but but often there there's a lot of camaraderie. Oftentimes the players in the team get get very close. They practice together. They'll hang out outside of, outside of tennis. And, uh, I think that that social piece really, um, ha- really helps a lot of players can continue to play the sport and continue to be engaged and, um, you know, want to keep, you know, working on their game or keep, keep playing. Um, and, and I think that that social piece, and I think, uh, you know, whether it's, um, some of these, um, competitions that you've talked about, Brian, or, um, or USTA leagues or, or any other, um, sorts of competitive elements that are, that are, that can make tennis team-based. Um, I, I think that, that definitely, um, makes, makes players a, a lot more likely to continue playing and, and feel more motivated. So I, I think that that last piece, that, um, relatedness piece is, is, is huge. I think that, um, oftentimes, um, makes makes can make the can make competing and can make the, the hard work that leads up to the competition a lot more enjoyable um, because they're surrounded by people that they enjoy being with um, and it's not just for them they're they're doing it for for a team 
Yeah, yeah, you're playing for something a little bit bigger, and yeah, it's fun to be part of that tennis community, you know, and in a section like we live in, it's relatively small, you know, so we, most of the players know each other, and I'm sure that that's true at all the different NTRP levels as well, um, you know, for players who are on teams that end up going to sectionals, they probably often see some of the same people year after year um, from the different states. That was certainly true when I was playing more of those uh, events. And then, you know, it, it's great with USTA League to get the opportunity to go to nationals. Um, and th that's always a, a fun thing. I know you've mentioned uh, how much you enjoyed playing at Indian Wells when you were in college. I actually got to play there as part of a 40-plus USDA um, league. Um, so we, we made nationals one year, and it was. It was stunning, really beautiful playing there. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, and that's that tennis opened up that opportunity, you know, and I think whether it's community or, or, or whatnot, I, I think another thing that I maybe – I didn't even mention this, Josh, but I think – I've pushed some of my students to do this, but what senior tennis has really helped me to do, it's given me the opportunity to travel and play. You know, I've played tournaments in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, Indian Wells, Fort Lauderdale, Daytona Beach, Savannah, Georgia, Kansas City, Missouri, Jackson, Mississippi, um, just to name a few. And we got to play actually the... National Public Parks event was at the um, the site of the U.S. Open back in 2006. I had never played on those courts before. Um, and, it, yeah, it just gave me the opportunity to go and travel to these places. And it was fun to, you know, spend your week, like, you know, just being a tennis player. Um, and so I think that that's another cool aspect. And, you know, one of my longtime senior tennis um, clients uh, – he plays national tournaments every year now. And before we had started working, he was just really playing in New England. I was like, yeah, you should try some of this. I mean, you're so into tennis and it's such a small community in New England. Why not just branch out and go and meet new people? And he ended up actually buying a house in, uh, in the desert in California. So now like when he plays tournaments, he's got a place to stay. So I think that that's uh, another aspect of, um, of senior tennis that people can look forward to is, you know, traveling with the sport. That's, that, that's awesome. I mean, um, I, I, the, for those who know me, who know me well, or who know me on a personal level, um, I've sort of done that, um, not, not in terms of competing, but in terms of actually attending tournaments in all different places, whether that be, um, in this country in Indian Wells or, at, um, at the uh, Davis cup finals in Madrid or, um, Davis Cup finals in Serbia or, or different places. But um, I would say as I continue to play and um, get back into competition, I think that that travel aspect um, would, would definitely make it a lot of fun. And, you know, you're, I think there's also, I would imagine also a sort of camaraderie um, with some of the other players that you're competing against where everyone, you know, has this shared experience yeah. um, of, you know, of continuing to play and train. And I, I would also assume a, a level of mutual respect that's there. Um, based on everyone, you know, recognizing that you know, people are making sacrifices and that level of commitment that's, that's needed to continue playing, you know, year after year. Yeah. And you definitely um, connect with people from other sections of the U.S., you know, so I know the years that I was playing on that 
the national circuit, see different guys, see some of the same guys at different tournaments. It was really, that was always very, very cool. Um, and this is something I haven't done, but I would love to do at some point in the future is play some ITF senior events in Europe and, you know, red clay or whatever. Um, there'd be another great way to just travel and, and, and see that. And for the players who are good enough, um, there are, you know, senior world championships, um, both for a team level. So for, you know, you could represent the United States or whatever country you're from. Um, and then uh, usually the week after it's an individual tournament. So I know like when I was playing, um, I think my, the, best ranking I had was in 2006 and I was hoping to get invited to the be on the world team it didn't happen but that year it was um uh, in Turkey at this resort that had like 27 red clay courts would have been you know an awesome opportunity uh, but that that has moved around it's been in New Zealand it's been in Miami um and so you know for the players who are good enough that's a fantastic um, benefit of playing um, but certainly, yeah, the ITF has its own senior um, senior tour that you can be getting ranked in. Even some of the events in the U.S. have ITF points. So I think my best best ITF ranking was like 92 in the world. So yeah, it's not bad. I mean, when I'm now wasn't even trying for it. Um, <laughs> just it was like, oh wow, I get ranking points for that. That's cool. It's I I think as uh, you know. As, as you continue to compete, I think, um, you know, at, at, at times you, players may have a certain ranking goal in mind where, where other times yeah. it may be, you know, maybe playing for other reasons. Um, but I, I think that, you know, being able to achieve a ranking like that, like a top hundred world ranking um, is, is, is very cool. Is, is, is something to, to certainly write home about. Um, I mean, I, you know, somebody like, like Jeff Greenwald, who, um, you know, the, some of, um, his, I know at one point he was number one in the 35, 35 plus, and uh, you know just being able to continue to reach milestone, yeah, um, at, at you know in your 30s or 40s or 50s beyond is um, I think something that that sets tennis apart from a lot of other sports. I, I think of you know whether it be a team sport or even individual sports. I think tennis is unique in in the fact that um, so many players continue to play. A later age and continue continue to compete um so i, I think um you know going back to that point of tennis really being a lifetime sport um you know it, it's i think it's really cool that you can continue to be continue to travel the world and um you know compete against players around the world at whatever age group you're in yeah and of course you don't have to do these things and it's very easy to just stay where you are and play with your group of friends or you know here in massachusetts um, I mean, things are different, obviously, this year. But, you know, typically we have a lot of indoor leagues that are not associated with the USTA that are extremely popular, um, that have been around for a long time. And there's a lot of camaraderie around those teams. You know, so I remember playing in the Central Mass League or the North Shore Doubles League. There's a ton of camaraderie. And a lot of those teams actually would stick together and have USTA league teams in the summer. Um, so yeah, you don't have to do these things. Um, these are just opportunities out there that, you know, we wanted to talk about, but, um, yeah, you can just stay where you are and find your group and play for the rest of your life. And that, 
you know, the mental and physical health benefits of tennis are, are, I mean, are fantastic because you're, you're, you're not only training your aerobic system, you're training your anaerobic system, you're doing things in a, in a physical way, you're using your coordination, you're using your cognitive skills. It's almost everything you need in one package, you know, for, for long-term health. Absolutely. Um, there's actually a, a article from the New York Times just from a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, we can link to that um, in the show notes, but it's, it's titled The Best Sport for a Longer Life, Try Tennis. And uh, there's research that, that has showed that's compared tennis to some other sports that has really showed that um, you know, there, there are many benefits for um, elongating your life through, through tennis. I mean, through the aerobic and anaerobic um, benefits of it. And there's, you know, there's the, the, the way that the tennis is a sport combines so many different as- aspects of athleticism. Um, I think so it certainly makes it unique compared to a lot of other sports. So um, no, there's, there's cer- certainly psychological and, and physical benefits of continuing to play the sport, um, you know, near or far. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So maybe just to wrap up, Josh, we can kind of uh, summarize some of the things that we've, we've talked about, or at least from a training perspective. I think, you know, if, if senior tennis players are listening to this, you know, how do you want to get better, you know, from a, from a, uh, a training perspective? Um, I do think, you know, from the research that I've looked at, training your anticipation skills, your decision-making skills on the court, um, and then looking at various aspects of your mental toughness, right? Looking at creating routines uh, on the court, um, learning to focus better, um, reflective exercises uh, are, are super important to, um, to improvement. And I would say we didn't really get into this that much, but the whole idea of we really as senior tennis players need good recovery routines. So the more research you can put into that, whether that be, um, you know, I actually just got one of these recently, a Theragun, you know, how you do that type of thing, stretching, foam rolling, ice baths, nutrition, everything that you can do to, uh, to have better recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that recovery piece is, is huge for um, continuing to get out there. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not letting one long match or one, um, tough weekend at a tournament, um, put, put you on the sidelines for, um, you know, for a, a period of time. Um, and yeah, I think, I think you brought up a, a, some good, some great points there in terms of, um, training that anticipation. I think there's a lot that coaches can help with on the practice court with that. Um, whether that just be hand, hand feeding, um, and surprising players with which side you're going to be feeding to, um, or, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different uh, hand-eye coordination sorts of drills, um, as well as, you know, the, the reflective practices such as journaling. Um, I, I would also say things like, you know, things like mindfulness can, can also be helpful um, to, to help players to, you know, gain clarity in, in those uh, tough moments. Um, you know, on the court, I, I recommend, certainly recommend this to all sorts of players. Um, but no, I, I, th- I think, um, you know, being able to f- continue focusing on the mental side of the game and train some of these areas, such as, you know, our tactics, making sure that you're um, 
making the right decisions on the court. Um, it, it are the the types of things that um, can can help players to play at, at their best possible level. Yeah, especially as you know we get older and older, things are gonna you know tend to tend to slow down, but we don't have to drop our level so much. And 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 a lot of the research has shown that elite players tend not to drop their level very much, even as they get they get older, right? So, which is, which is pretty cool. Well, well, great. Thanks, Josh. That's our show for today. So want to thank everybody for listening to this episode on, on senior tennis for more on today's show, please check out our show notes. Um, if you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennis IQ podcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennis IQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, uh, which also includes YouTube, uh, so that you can be notified of any new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram, where we put up uh, notifications of, of new episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon in our next episode. 